everybody, and welcome into another edition. This is Cross Functionality, the show where coaching intersects baseball and softball, male and female, by former college baseball and softball players. Thanks for being with us today on the audio side, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music, and of course on YouTube, Softball Strength Academy. Watching the show, we do greatly appreciate that. My name is Jim, of course, and let me bring in my co-host, former softball national champion, at the University of Alabama, current day renowned national coach, Cassie Riley Bosha. Cassie, how are you? Happy Saturday or Wednesday, whenever you're watching. I think it's Saturday. <laughs> whenever you're watching, though, but we're yeah. what people this are watching. Fair. That's right. That's right. That's right. So happy Saturday to you, Jim. Happy Wednesday to or Thursday or Friday or whenever you're watching this to everyone else. <laughs> that's right. Now I'm in my workout attire, so it would make sense that it would be Wednesday. Mm. Usually I work out on Wednesdays. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got a great episode today. Uh, this is episode six, um, talking about the national championship, a five-part series, like a dope. I think I said part, I think a two-part series, but it's actually a five-part series. Um, I said that last week, but we're talking today, part two, Road to the National Championship, talking about the regular seasons and some stories that came out of that. There was some really interesting stories that we're going um, to discuss, but I first want to talk um there's a story that came out this week about Miles Brennan. I'm sure you know who that is. He was former quarterback at LSU. He took over for Joe Burrow in 2020 and then got hurt. And then Brian Kelly, fast forward a couple of years, came in as the new head coach from Notre Dame. And Miles Brennan, he brought competition with him. Um, Kelly did. Miles Brennan has decided to step away from football. I don't think people really understand the severity of this and um, what student athletes and again i emphasize student athletes go through on a daily basis especially at some of the highest levels you were there at the university of alabama but when you talk about football and you talk about basketball there's shows about these um, teams about these conferences and they're constantly being splattered out there all of their at times dirty laundry as well on mm. national television, national radio, national podcasts. There's a lot of pressure that comes along with being a student athlete. And I'm wondering here, just from your perspective, if Miles Brennan and a bunch of student athletes like him get to a point where they just say, you know what, I think it's best if I just step away because the pressure is just too much. Yeah, you know, and I think uh, it, it is unfortunate. And I think sometimes people view that as like a weakness, like, oh, he couldn't handle the pressure. But unfortunately, what our student athletes are going through right now is something that no one's ever gone through. It's not pressure any better athlete or, or uh, better equipped athlete has handled before. And that's that social media has basically allowed small town gossip to be, be on a national stage. Mm -hmm. And if anyone's ever been on any receiving end of a small town gossip or a high school drama or something, it doesn't feel good. It's, it has that, like that bad feeling it weighs on you. It lives in your head rent free. And then all of a sudden when you multiply that, Mm -hmm. times the national scale, the multiply it by the fact that anyone can look up any, any of your business on your phone. And then all of a sudden you tie your identity so closely to what you're so proud of. Like, yeah, I'm an athlete. Yeah. I get to do this. And you start to realize like, well, hang on, this is not playing anymore. This is not about football. This is not about going to practice anymore. This is, this has so many other things to it. And that's just not what I want to deal with. And it, so it might not be a football pressure. It might just be a drama pressure or pressure or a uh, story talking about you pressure that they don't want to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, again, it's, it's, the mental factor of being a student athlete isn't talked about enough. I mean, there's so many, it's a rigid schedule. 
And you're not only, again, an athlete, but you're a student athlete. But then on the on a weekly basis, if you're LSU or if you're Alabama or if you're a, a big time college football player, no disrespect to Division One, AA, two or three, because there are those pressures there as well. But you're also dealing now with the media on a weekly basis, having to talk to these reporters after games, whether it's a win or a loss. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I don't know if Saban allows it anymore, but there was for a really long period of time he didn't allow, I don't think, freshmen or underclassmen mm-hmm. to talk to the media. And I think that's that's where, you know, I had this conversation with someone the other day. It's not technology that is that is hurting us. I think media has become really toxic. And I, I think that's been a hard thing to juggle, but you know, it, you, yeah, you, you wake up every day, you, you bust your butt, you, you work out in the weight room, you go to extra training, you might be a little hurt and going to the, to the training room and, but no one knows it. And then you have a bad practice that's been televised. You have one bad play in a game and then you're on full blast. And I do, I do think Saban does such a good job protecting his athletes. I do think there are coaches out there that really try to say, Hey, you guys don't know anything about what you're talking about right now. This is, they work really hard. They're trying to, he has a 4.0 GPA. He's trying to go to law school, whatever it may be. Um, But yeah, it's, it it really, you know, college has been moving this direction for a really long time. It really is that it's just professionals, professional sports. And sometimes you're on a bigger spotlight than certain professional sports when you're at the college level, um, especially when it comes to football and basketball. So it's, yeah, you, you do have to kind of shake yourself and remember this is a 17 year old kid. This is someone who was living in their parents' house last year. This is, you know, these are not old grown men that are competing right now that we're witnessing. You mentioned GPA in there. And I, I, one thing I like that the networks do, uh, CBS is um, one of the networks that sticks out to me that does this on a weekly mm-hmm. basis during the football season. ESPN, I'm sure, ABC, they do it too. Um, they highlight a student's GPA and that student athlete and what they're doing in the classroom as well, just to kind of shed light on, hey, this is still, even though it's big money deals, I know that I think the Big Ten just sold their television rights to, I think it was Fox maybe and somebody else, CBS, I think for, I don't know, $300 million. These guys are still, and gals, of course, student athletes who are trying to excel in the classroom. Yeah, and I do appreciate them doing it because it kind of brought, provides that human element to uh, to the fans and the athlete. I do think when a fan starts to perceive the person they're viewing on television or whatever further and further away from them, it makes it very, very easy for them to make a comment on an Instagram post or to send a message that's nasty. And, you know, it, it doesn't, you don't feel connected to that person. You don't, you feel like you can't relate to that person. So that message doesn't hurt so bad when you send it. And um, maybe it's a compliment to the sport when, you, you know, you do start getting the smaller sports that get fans that are like, oh, I could make that play. My grandma can make that play, whatever it may be. <laughs> it's like, all right, they really think you're on that big of a stage. But at the same time, like everyone is a human being. Everyone is a is, is a student. Every, every single person, you cannot play it yet. You can't play a sport until you have that 12 hours of eligibility, which means your butt's in a classroom for 12 hours. You're having to suffice, you know, teacher requirements. And it's... It is. It is challenging on top of everything else that you are now required to do. And all of a sudden your day starts to turn into, well, I have to do this. I have to do this. I have to do this. And you start to lose sight of like, I'm a student athlete at a really cool college. I should be saying I get to do these things and I want to do these things, right? Not having a list of obligations throughout your day. Here's the thing. I I live in Tampa, right? And I don't live very far from where the Buccaneers play, Raymond James Stadium. And announcers, I hear it every Sunday during the football season. I hear it during the baseball season as well. We're trying to humanize. Uh, Bryce Harper last night, the Phillies broadcast, was talking about his recovery from his injury and he was taking batting practice. And they started, I kind of started to go off about uh, Bryce Harper a little bit and just kind of 
it's called character development, but it's really hard if you're a fan to relate to these guys. And for me, again, I'm driving by the stadium here in Tampa and I'm thinking, I can't believe Tom Brady plays there. I can't believe that Tom Brady in a way, I can't believe that he drives these roads. It's very hard to relate to these guys, but it's easier to relate to college athletes because of all the extracurricular activities that they have going on with the GPA and trying to, I mean, the academic all Americans and you were one of them, of course, at one point. So yeah, I agree with you completely 100% that, that uh, these athletes it's when they're being televised and the spotlight is on them, there's a chance to humanize them more. Uh, and sometimes that pressure really gets to them. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's always going to be a struggle. It's always going to be tough. Um, and I, and I do, I do hope that like, people can kind of place criticism and, and empathy. And like, you know, I think fans feel this conf- conflicting uh, aspect where they're like, well, I, you know, I want to, I want to be able to support my team, but that, that means I'm allowed to criticize them. Um, and now they have a voice to do it too. So yeah. that is, you know, it, I think what you're going to start to see at the NCAA level is the same type of support that professionals have where it's like, Hey, this is training on how to deal with media. Here's training mm-hmm. on how to deal with social media. Here's training on how to deal with fans that you encounter when you're trying to be a normal student, right? Cause that's the other thing. It's like, Hey, they're missing out on so many things. Have them try to be a normal student one time and go to a bonfire hosted on, on the quad. And then you get people being like, well, they should have been working harder. They should have been doing this, this, and this prepping for the game, not staying up late. Like, yeah. So we'll see, we'll see where it goes with college athletics, but I hope it does start to turn back more to it's like their kids. They're, they're 17, 18, 19, 20 year old kids. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we talked about NIL and the deals that these athletes are now getting um, and how that might affect college athletics going forward. One thing here to know with Miles Brendan, this was tweeted by Darren Rovell, who covers sports business. He tweeted, quote, in regards to Miles Brennan, he didn't play a single game since signing, but NIL deals can't be based on performance so he keeps all the money and some of his endorsement deals miles brennan came from raising canes smoothie king game coin among others smoothie king's the only one i i know about but um i just wonder with these nil deals if we've now opened up pandora's box here if some athletes have that opportunity to get paid and and maybe now it's incentivizing not only to transfer to a bigger school or another school where you can get time to play get your get the spotlight on you to where you can get these nil deals but maybe if you get this money uh, securing these deals maybe you just walk away from the game altogether i'm just wondering if that's the way it's progressing with these new nil deals it, it is interesting and, and you brought up a really interesting point you're not allowed to be compensated for your performance it's your name right. your image and your likeness so you know because someone brought up one time they're like this is not going to last you're never you're never going to be able to justify an All-American in football making millions of dollars and an All-American in softball, let's say, or even soccer or whatever, making $1,000. Like, the discrepancies can be too big, but it's not based on how well they played. It doesn't matter that they're an All-American. It doesn't. You could have a girl on the team who is like has a really big name in the community because of whatever it may be and doesn't even play well and makes way more money than anyone else on the team because she she might run her TikTok better than anyone else who knows but yeah. that is that is going to be what's really really interesting is how that plays out if there's any changes to it how companies start to change their deals because you are going to have people starting to walk away and companies are going to be like oh we didn't protect ourselves how do we protect ourselves now right. so we will see it is going to be interesting yeah. 
I don't know, and, and there I, I looked, I tried to dig, and the information wasn't out there as to what money Miles Brennan will be making. But again, those those deals for him are are secure. All right, well, good stuff. We're going to get into our our main topic today. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Matt Jim Tara on both. Uh, Cassie is Coach Cassie RB on Twitter. Coach underscore Cassie RB on Instagram as well. So let's get into today's main topic, Episode Six: Road to the National Championship Part Two, discussing. Um, the regular season today under head coach Patrick Murphy, that team in 2012, led by you, went 60 and 8, 23 and 5 in SEC play. And you guys started out with a 26 game winning streak, but there was something that happened. And it, correct me if I'm wrong, if my timeline is off. So in 2011, we talked about it a couple of episodes ago, your junior year, there was tragedy in Tuscaloosa. A tornado mm-hmm. ripped through the town, it put a pause on your season. It was a huge speed bump. Mm-hmm. And now a year later, there was a certain death, the death of Addie Hamilton, who was your trainer. Mm-hmm. And uh, take me through that timeline. It was in the beginning of the year. Correct. Am I right about that? Yep. yep. It was it was very beginning. So it was okay. uh, you get assigned two student or excuse me, three student trainers every year. Right. Uh, so we have our actual uh, athletic trainer who's right. working with us and then their stu- the three student trainers. And we were about to go on our first trip to Mobile, Alabama. That was our first weekend we played. And uh, if anyone was in the training room at the time that um, Addie almost like uh, had like a, she's like, man, I have a really bad headache. And she kind of like went limp on the table for only about 10 seconds. And, and then she was fine. She, and everyone was like, all right, that was weird. She's in the hospital, got some testing. And the whole time she's texting us when we're on the trip. She's like, I'm doing fine. Everything feels fine. Kick butt this weekend. And, uh, you know, she ended up having this brain tumor that it's a, it's a brain tumor that grows really, really fast when it shows symptoms, it's usually too late. Um, but the last we heard on Saturday was that she was going home. She was going to get some rest. She had surgery Monday and then she passed that Sunday. So that's how fast that had happened. Talk about an 18 year old, 19 year old, who's part of your team. Um, but I think, I think one of the coolest things Murphy does is called affirmation bag week. And the week leading up to the first game of the season is always affirmation bag week. He explains what an affirmation is, how, you know, it's not just a compliment. It's not like, not like, oh, you have nice hair. It's like you're really trying to affirm someone's behavior. You know, you're really trying to, like, showcase how much you appreciate something that they do. And so everyone gets their own brown bag. It's You know, if you walked in, you'd think it was a kindergarten room, right? So everyone gets their own brown bag. It goes on the windowsill. And this is everyone in the organization, coaches, trainers, managers, support staff, everyone, including the players. And there's all these little uh, pieces of scrap paper on the table. And so throughout that first week, you go and you write an affirmation about every single person in the program. So when you're done, when you grab your bag and you're about to go play in your first game of the season, you have 26, 30, however many little pieces of paper of people just that are around you every day saying like, hey, I so admire your, your work ethic and how you come out before practices or whatever it may be. And it could be long, short, anonymous, not, but... Murphy made sure Addie had that bag in the hospital and she was getting testing done. And I just think what more could you ask for to have some, like, you know, the people you spent the last 90 days with prepping for season and you're, you're reading every, like exactly how they feel about you. And that's, you know, that I was so thankful. She at least knew all of that before she ended up passing away. And it's obviously crazy to think that something like that happens in a, in a, in a team and an organization like that. But there was no there was no more complaining that whole rest of the year mm-hmm. no one ever looked at like an injury like oh poor me it was like we looked at the season through a completely different lens um every adversity and failure was just hey listen if addy could be in the hospital telling us it's all good 
we we can we can approach the situation very very differently then so okay so what happened i'm trying to get the timeline when did how how close to the season did this happen it happened the very first weekend so we, weekend. we put yeah we played in mobile alabama on okay. friday or excuse me wednesday she had that weird headache mm-hmm. thursday friday she had testing she went home from the hospital mm-hmm. monday um we played our last so we had i think five game series that weekend a four or five game series we played our final game on sunday and you know we're in the huddle and we're expecting murph you know i think we had two freshmen do really well in the game it's a normal post-game huddle and murph you know kind of came into the huddle and was like he was so somber and i was like what was going on and that's when they had given us a heads up that she had she had passed that day so it was yeah it was it was the very first weekend we played okay so first weekend that it happened you have to be thinking at this i'm sorry this is part therapy session on today's episode but you have to be thinking oh my god deja vu all over again another tragedy a year later i mean you know you're coming off a year in 2011 that i guess you, you thought in a way was unsuccessful because you didn't win the national championship and then alabama the football team goes out wins the national championship in the fall and you guys have high expectations for yourselves mm-hmm. and then you have this this tragedy this speed bump that again it rears its ugly head just another tragedy what's your mindset you know it's it's interesting because when you when you experience grief in a group like that mm-hmm. it's it's hard to try to reflect almost on how you personally felt and 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 that's a blessing and a curse i think of being a part of a team but sure. i i do think the fact that we experienced so much of that loss together finding out about it uh go like the very next day having practice the very next day going to you know because she was a part of this athletic training family too it wasn't just the softball family so being able to grieve with them, it, there's so much comfort in that, you know, and, and being with with family. And um, even throughout the season, her her dad and her sister coming out to the stadium and just just talking with us. And I think it was, uh, it it's it's so sad in so many ways when someone loses a life early. Yeah. In the same breath, you get to all of a sudden hear and see how much impact she had in 18 years, right? Like how many people can you know make such an impact profound impact in such a short period of time so mm-hmm. it's it's sad but it, it it provided opportunities for reflection and then you know like i said being able to grieve together was definitely comforting and i think it's not that you get past something like that it's just it helps you kind of organize your thoughts and feelings and allows you to talk to someone when you need to so let's 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 shift gears now and i know it's kind of an uh, abrupt segue, but shifting gears to more, um, more positivity. You guys began the year undefeated, mm. um, before conference play. Now the one stat I, I was doing some, some research and, and in preparation, uh, I found something kind of interesting. Um, in your first four games, you outscored opponents 38 to five. Okay. So not only did you have good offense, but you had really good pitching from Jacqueline Trania. I hope I said her her name correctly. Um, Jacqueline that year went forty two and three. That was an NCAA record, by the way. Those forty two wins. She pitched three of the first four games. Mm-hmm. What was the pitching like? I mean, the pitching had to be. I know the offense, you know, thirty eight runs, but the pitching was stifling at that point from Jacqueline, right? Yeah, you know, Jackie Jacqueline was a uh, freshman the year before. 
And we mm -hmm. saw glimpses of how good she could be. And one of the biggest differences that year was that we had a brand new pitching coach. And Stephanie Van Brakel was a former Alabama All-American, mm -hmm. uh, had come back. I remember her first meeting. I mean, if you ever look at – if you just Google a picture of Steph Van Brakel, she looks like she just comes with heat in everything she does, every conversation, every – you know. And uh, so she comes to that first meeting, and she's like, I'm still pissed off. I didn't win it. She's like, so now I got to settle for coaching it. And she's like, I'm done knocking on the door. And we're like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you what, like she, she was such a good fit for Jackie. She was such mm -hmm. a good, like she really got all the pitchers in great shape. She, she was able to put her ego aside when it, when she needed to, she was able to, you know, showcase uh, her talent as a coach when she needed to. And that first weekend we're like, okay, Jack, Jackie's healthy. Jackie's ready to rock. And she was hitting like 71, 72, which is, which is fast. And, you know, that's like probably the equivalent of someone sitting 95 when someone can right. sit in that 72, you're like, okay, this is going to be a good season as long as we can, you know, stay healthy. So that was exciting because I think we had a very mature um, hitting uh, end of our season. And that's, I think what people don't realize you can have the best hitters on the planet, but if they're filled with freshmen and sophomores who have not seen really good pitching, yeah it's not always going to translate. It's, it's not the best swing. So we had all these girls who had played high, high level. I think that was a big boost of confidence for us moving forward for sure. Uh, so, and, you, and then as we progress throughout the year, you mentioned in our preparation for the show, um, the Oregon trip, that was supposed to be very tough for you guys. And for whatever reason, you guys still, one game was actually canceled, but, but that Oregon trip, it turned out to be a success, but why was that supposed to be, as described by you, very, very tough. And why was that supposed to be the trip where the, the air was supposed to be kind of let out of the balloon? Yeah. So I think we saw what we were made of on that trip. It, it was okay. a spring break trip. Murphy tries to do a home trip for every single athlete. So we played, we, we left Alabama on a Friday or a Thursday, drove to Kentucky, swept Kentucky at Kentucky. And it's like, everything seems like it's going fine. But Sunday morning, two of our athletes woke up with really, really bad stomach bug. I mean, like, mm. couldn't even sit in the dugout, bad stomach oh bug. Yeah. So we race after the Kentucky game. We didn't have time to shower anything to our flight, get checked in, and we have a three-hour delay. So it's like, again, whatever, three-hour delay, no big deal. We get to Texas for our connection to Oregon. We've missed our connection. It, we had, it was like a 35 passenger flight left without 33 people, something crazy like that. <laughs> so, a, lot, a lot of, a lot of room for people to stretch we out. Were really hoping they would hold it. So <laughs> now we're stuck in Texas for the night. Two more people get sick. Yeah. Um, and we, by the time everything gets finagled, we go to bed past 4am. Yeah. Uh, we next day, Flights get confused. We end up on two different flights out to Oregon. And anytime you travel East Coast to West Coast, you're in airports, flights, like it's just a little bit of wear and tear on your body. You know, you're already not sleeping a lot. We get to Oregon. It starts snowing, which is like was like a very strange thing. So we had to drive two and a half hours in a snowstorm on a bus. Uh, again, go to bed past 4 a.m. Two nights in a row. Uh, two more people get sick. So now we're down to like, I felt like we were like a skeleton of a team. And we have to yeah. play the number four ranked Oregon the next day. So we've had like eight hours of sleep in two days. Yeah. <laughs> like just, and I remember I overheard my coach saying to the assistant, he's like, I can't even be mad if we lose today. Right. <laughs> so right. like, yeah. um, but we end up, we end up beating them. And I remember us thinking like, okay, that team is probably going to make a run for it for the world series. And if we can rally a win in, mm -hmm. in these types of situations, it was, yeah, it was one of those things where like, 
I have been, excuse me, I've played on other teams where people would have complained and been miserable the entire time. And the fact that we had an enjoyable trip, despite all the craziness, we beat a really good team. Those were really good signs to me. I was like, okay, like talk about, Hey, where's this team have to be at a certain time in the year in order to know we're being going to be successful. That was a bit, pretty big indication to me that I was like, all right, everyone could have complained every step of this way and, and nobody did. <laughs> it's amazing with in baseball too, baseball, softball, you, you talk about those teams that get in to uh, that, that town, that city very, very late 4am say, and they get very little sleep and then they go out the next day and they win. It's kind of like what you guys did against mm-hmm. Oregon. Now there was a, a game in New York against Fordham. I'm thinking that it seemed like everything was going well you had a great travel accommodations. You're thinking, I'm, we're on no disrespect to Fordham, but we're going to play a team that in Division One is below us, and then you guys end up losing. So it was the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Yep. I I gotta, I'm just going to ask flat out, what yep. the heck happened there? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, uh, again, Coach Murphy really tries really hard to get a home trip for every athlete. Sure. So he, he promised me a trip to New York. The problem is – preseason is February and like only half of March. And if anyone's lived in the Northeast, we get snow sometimes until May. The Mm -hmm. the ground is not ready. No, no college team back home is playing home in March. So I think he was kind of like, how am I going to pull this off? And he found a pocket of time between the final SEC series and the SEC tournament where he's like, all right, we're going to go play on like a Monday night in Fordham and come home. The problem is you have, you know, we, we play three grueling games against Florida. That's a rivalry game. Each mm-hmm. game was close. The SEC championship was on the line. We lose the first game. We have to win the next two to win it outright. Mm-hmm. So we do, and we're exhausted. We get these, like, yeah, talk about private accommodations. This this bus pulls up. It's our the, the Crimson Ride is the is the name of the bus company on campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get we go to a private jet. Dinner is sitting on our, our plate. I mean, talk about feeling like a professional. We were like riding high, got pizza in, in Times Square that night. And I remember going into the, you know, just feeling our team out. And I was like, you know, Fordham is a top 25 team. Fordham upsets like two or three teams every year. Mm-hmm. They they really do. Like they have, they're a really good program for this area. And I just realized most of the girls on my team had never heard of Fordham. And mm-hmm. nobody was really taking this game overly seriously. On top of it too, you can't, you can't blame my coach. He rested all of our starters except for me because I was playing. But I looked around and I was like, I haven't played with anybody for a really long time that's on the field right now. Sure. So we had a lot of people who hadn't played in a while. And it's, yeah, in, in a sense, it's hard. It's so hard. You never want to disrespect an opponent. But in a sense, Murphy had to look at the rest of the year and be like, I need to rest Jackie. I need to rest our starters. Mm-hmm. But Jackie had already pitched, you know, 40-something, you know, felt like 40-something games already. So had to rest everybody. We played our second and third string team against a Fordham who they probably had that game circled the entire season. That was their world series. Alvin was coming to play and we got smacked. I mean, they came out. I think we had like a three, nothing lead for a little bit, probably coasted on it. And then we just, I think they might've scored. I don't remember the final score. I just remember. I think it was eight to five. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it felt a little bit bigger than that because they really did just put up a lot of runs against us. We, yeah. So uh, it's funny, you know, even though we won the national championship and I had a really great career, I still get people being like, didn't you guys just afford them? <laughs> Cause that's like <laughs> what people in New York remember. It was this big story. So, uh, yeah, it is, you know, it is, it is what it is. It definitely like you always, if you're going to get one, if you're going to lose as a team, you want it to be against, you want it to be an insignificant loss that really smacks you in the butt and really wakes you up that like, Hey, 
your everything you touch does not turn to gold. Your guys are not that good. We got to lose without having it really affect our rankings. And then uh, thank goodness we won the SEC tournament that weekend because every newspaper report said Murphy's out of his mind. His team's going to be exhausted. Why are you taking them to New York? And uh, I feel like if we lost the tournament that weekend, people would have said it was because of the Fordham trip. So thank goodness we won. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. Well, okay. Just to, and and uh, we're adding more context here. This is a game that really didn't mean too much. And right. if you lose, okay, we're on to a, a bigger fish that we have to fry, so to speak. So right. it was kind of a game where, okay, we're gonna play some of our younger gals, get them experience, rests most of our starters. And if we lose, we lose. We want to play good. We want to play sharp. But if we lose, it's not like losing to Oklahoma. It's not like losing to Florida or Michigan, who was really good in that 2012 year as well. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we, we get the mentality, but, you know, Murphy was in a very grumpy mood afterwards and I don't play sure. on him. He was, he was mad that we lost. And uh, the, the whole team was going back to my parents' house for dinner. Uh, so my mom had been ordering, you know, a, I don't know, you live in Florida, but you know, there's really not the same type of pizza, same type of Italian food that you get in, in the New York, New York City area. You don't get that throughout the rest of the, the, the country. So we obviously wanted to share that, but we were, you know, it was one of those things. My mom's so excited to have the team over yet. Everyone's kind of like, oh, we just lost, you know, so yeah. it was it was a good trip. Um and it is what it is. Uh, it's just one of those memories where, again, thank goodness we won the SEC. It's it's we can laugh about it now because we won the whole thing. So right. So like maybe if we lost, people would have been like, man, he really just wore his team out trying to do all these trips. But right. Yeah. You know, then hopefully we can repay him with that national championship. <laughs> I'm sure we're gonna get, and we'll we'll continue to progress to that um, as we move along this uh, five part series. Are there any other stories that stick out um, from that season that we haven't discussed? Um, I'm sure there had to be something else, something fun, um, something on the field, off the field. Any other stories that may stick out? You know, what? I, I think back to like social media, I think Instagram had just come out. So sure. it was funny because people were so intrigued by by our team um, and they didn't really have the only way they could look at us or like interact with us was at the at the games. And we got we got done with school at the end of April, like finals week is the end of April, and we play until June. So that's like six weeks of sitting around and you know, you have your lifts, you have your hitting, but there's only so much softball you can do in a day before you're sitting around, you're the only team left on campus and you're like, All right, what you know, what do you want to do? So the I think the funniest story that came out of that was Kayla Bro, who is our four time or excuse me, three time all American um, outfielder. Uh, she was a junior at the time. Uh, she had a flip camera. Do you remember those flip, those flip cameras? Uh, yes. It was like before iPhones had any good quality cameras. Yeah. And she she went around and she would make like music videos essentially. And it was just, you, you could tell like, I don't know, when people are like, oh, did you guys party? Did you guys do whatever? And I'm like looking at our field of this choreographed dance. And I'm like, no, <laughs> we didn't yeah. do any of that. <laughs> we did silly things like this to pass the time. But again, it, I think we just enjoyed being with each other. And, and, and that's very evident in a certain video in a certain national championship game that we'll talk about too, mm -hmm. uh, down the line as well. Um, how did you feel personally after that regular season ended going into the sec uh, tournament? Uh, that was, uh, you know, for how much I had been riddled with back pain, that was probably the best I had ever felt going into playoffs. Um, mm -hmm. I, much to my mom's dismay, we actually planned my injections. So it was like, yeah. even if you weren't in pain, you were still going to get a preventative injection. Um, 
And I think that probably was the best plan. That was, so that was the healthiest. I think our team was all around. Um, personally swing felt really, really good. Um, felt like my, uh, like, you know, as a, as a hitter's eye, when you're seeing the ball really well, those are all really good signs. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was good. I, I remember being around that time being like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Like I'm ready. Like my body is like, is there. Um, and I really did feel so confident in our team. And it, and it wasn't that like, I was like, Oh, we faced every adversity. It was just like, you know, we had faced so much and I was just really impressed with everyone's tools. Like even honestly, to, to be a hundred percent honest, I was most impressed with our non-starters that year. Cause if anyone's going to complain, if anyone's going to kind of fall off and get disinterested, it's someone who's not, who's working really hard and then not starting or not playing. Mm-hmm. And they, they just, or they found another position for themselves. They found other ways to contribute. They truly enjoyed everyone's company and there was no riffs. And I, I appreciate that more than anything. Well, let's go with that. What lesson would you say for people out there, college athletes who aren't playing as much, what can mm-hmm. they do to contribute positively? Sure. I, I think it's a, it's a learning curve. And I think you know, if it's, it's almost like, um, we can resonate really well. If we're like, Hey, I need you to go learn shortstop. It's like, all right, I'm going to go take ground balls and do everything I can to learn shortstop. But when you say, Hey, I know you're an all high school American. I know you played, you're a Gatorade player of the year, but, uh, there's someone better than you right now or something. The, 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 the formula for winning on the field playing does not include you. That is such a hard pill to swallow. Um, That is so difficult for someone who's used to playing, used to being the stud, used to being the star. So the same uh, energy that would go towards like, hey, I need you to learn a new position on the field. You need to learn a new position in your new role now. So Mm -hmm. maybe you start studying how to how to uh, pick pitchers, like, like how valuable would it be if you're like, Hey, I'm pretty sure she puts her knuckle up on a changeup or um, you're trying to watch on the field and you're like, you know what, they have a hole when they, when we have runners on first and second uh, and we show bunt, they crash first and third and shortstop doesn't uh, covers covers third. We have this big hole it's short. We could probably do a fake bunt swing. So, you know, things like that, you become such a student of the game. You try to learn the game as much as possible. And then, you try to you try to constantly ask yourself what can I do to help my team today? What you know is it is it that this teammate needs something? Is it that my coach needs this? Is it that mm-hmm. and you constantly ask that question and then you take the focus off of you, right? It's not it's not about your playing time. It's not about your stats. It's like hey, can you really commit yourself to trying to win a national championship with this team or trying to win with this team or trying to be a part of something bigger than you? Then I think. Um, it becomes a lot easier to, to find those opportunities to help. Feel, feel free to correct me here, but I think that if you're a college athlete, division one, two, or three, and you're not playing as much or getting as much playing time as you'd like, that's an opportunity there to learn how to evaluate. Because if you want to work in professional athletics, work in professional baseball, male or female, you've got the opportunity to almost like scout your opponents, look for certain things, mm-hmm. um, a, a chance to learn the actual game that'll help you later on in your career once you're athletic playing time is up. Uh, that is a great point. Absolutely. And I, and I think so many times people, um, they look at this adversity and they're like, oh, and they get deflated when it's, you know, yeah. um, Ryan holiday has this awesome book. He talks about the obstacle is the way he's like, if you're constantly just trying to blow past advert times of adversity and be like, all right, I'm just going to get to the next peak. I'm just going to get to the next peak. You're going to get to it and not be able to enjoy it because you've just trained yourself to blow past the moment you're in. And so many times we think we should be here and we're here. We're actually Mm -hmm. below it. You are, we are exactly where we need to be when, when, 
especially when adversity hits, especially when a challenge is in our way. And if we view it as that, we're probably going to be able to go through that and come out the other side a little bit better than just trying to blow past and be like, oh, I need to get to my perceived ideal, not what is actually happening on a day to day. Such a great point. That's why it's so hard for athletes who who experience that second death. I think that's why athletes just continue to play because mm. they have this goal in mind, this this mountaintop they want to reach, and they feel like they never reach it. I think mm. it's part of the reason Tom Brady is still playing. He still hasn't reached that imaginary mountaintop, even though he's won seven Super Bowls. Right, right. So maybe that's not his mountaintop, right? Yeah, everyone's definition of success varies so much and it is interesting. I think the dichotomy of a male and female team is, is even more interesting when you talk about that success. Mm -hmm. I think what I just described is like letting your ego go to the side and, and saying, hey, this is not about my playing time or my stats um, is a lot easier to cultivate on a, on a female team, probably a lot more difficult to cultivate on a male team, not just because of ego, but like, you know, guys have an opportunity to earn big money post-baseball. Softball doesn't. Yeah. Like this was it, you know, and so our definition of success was having an opportunity to celebrate a national championship and a guy's definition of success might be, well, I'm trying to make it to the pros, you know, and, and that is, that's hard to manage, I think. Well, we're going to talk about that in later episodes as well. The mm -hmm. athlete's death, you guys know, you, you knew. And, and then again, no disrespect to these professional softball leagues that have come out, but for the most part, most of you know, when the expiration date will be on your athletic career and you knew that it was creeping up at that point once that regular season ended it was right mm -hmm. around the corner yep yeah it's, it was looming i actually i thought i had this like elixir i thought if we won it i would never feel bad about not playing i had this yeah. like oh we'll right off in the sunset it'll be fine that's not true you're you, regardless if you win or lose you're gonna miss it like crazy and you have to go yeah. through that but yeah i was under this like you know, delusion that I could like elude that, that, that horrible feeling of, of taking the cleats off for the last time, but certainly helped. Definitely. It definitely helped. <laughs> <your> last game. <laughs> well, we will be discussing um, uh, post career in this five part series mm -hmm. for you. We'll be discussing the national championship game, that final game where there was a slight rain delay and you guys had to manage to come back and, and win that game. We'll be talking about that in this series as well. Next week, part three. Be sure to subscribe to the show, Amazon Music, Apple, Google, and uh, Spotify and Softball Strength Academy to watch the program. Email us, JimboPodcast21 as well, with any of your questions, um, concerns, comments, criticisms, JimboPodcast21 at gmail.com. Next week, talking about the SEC tournament, um, but also talking about the Super Regional NCAA tournament as well. That'll be a lot of fun. I'm sure some great stories will also come out of that you had some really tough tough opponents but yeah 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 guys fared pretty well mm -hmm. yeah indeed so i'm excited i i get a, you know it's been 10 years but i get excited talking about this and then hopefully hopefully someone listening can get something out of this that uh they learn and they can take with them and, and applies still to today's game yeah so that's episode seven next week great job this week do you have anything to promote no just uh same social media platforms we've been talking about YouTube, so, uh, Softball Strength Academy. Uh, look for clips of uh, this podcast on all the on on not just our TikTok for Softball Strength Academy, but our Instagram, Softball Strength Academy, and then uh, Coach underscore Cassie RB on Instagram, Coach Cassie RB on Twitter. Perfect. And don't forget the Lab Epstein Hitting Podcast this week, talking about contact but little power. What mm -hmm. happens there? You have contact, but you. Don't have much power. You're a hitting gal. What's hopefully you're quick. There? Hopefully you can be quick to the ball with a higher average then. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you everybody for listening, watching episode seven next week. We'll talk to you then. Have a great week. Bye.